Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. In, um, in about a month or so, we would have been in the book of Romans for a year. And uh, for some of you, you may be thinking, good, we're going to get out of Romans. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm going to miss it, I think, just a little bit, because I think there are so many important things in, in the book of Romans that we as Christians need to remember and we need to, uh, <clears throat> need to apply to our lives. Um, the last theme, the last main theme in the book of Romans is the theme of service. And Paul's more or less telling us because of everything that Jesus has done for us, as he closes out this letter to the Romans, he's telling us that we ought to serve God uh, in light of everything that Christ has done for us. Uh, back in, um, in chapter 14, he, he started dealing with the theme of, of the goal of our service, one of the goals of our service to, to God, is that we might build each other up. And uh, he, he even said this in, uh, in, in Romans 14, one of the verses that were, that were there. Next slide, please. Um, says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. In, in other words, the things that we ought to chase after as believers and as a church are the things that bring us together. That's what the word peace means, to be joined together and the things that build us up. Instead of chasing after things that cause conflict, instead of chasing after things that cause uh, issues and division and, and negativity, he, he's warning us what we need to do. Instead of chasing after those things, we need to chase after, run after, pursue the things that make for peace. Us being together, and then together we are building each other up. It's what he's telling us in this passage of Scripture. When we get into, uh, into Romans 15, we started Romans 15 two weeks ago. Uh, Scott McAllister was with us, uh, last Sunday. If you missed it, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Scott did a great job. Uh, he sent us some prayer requests, by the way, uh, this morning by way of text to me and just to let us know he's praying for us. And, uh, like I said, we're going to try to have Scott back in the fall, but I thought he just did a great job for us. But as we, uh, as we get into Romans 15, Paul gives us kind of four main themes or four main topics. In verse 1 through 7, we were there a couple of weeks ago, he talks about the example of Jesus. And the example of Jesus is basically this. Jesus came into this world. He, even though he was God in the flesh, put up with us in order that he might build us up. And if Jesus, God in the flesh, would put up with a lost world that abused him and rejected him and even executed him, <laughs> then who do we think we are? Not to be willing to be servants. When Jesus came and he set that type of example. He came to put up with people and he, and he builds up people. That's two of the reasons that Jesus came. And that needs to be an example that we follow. Today, as we pick up in verse number 8, we're going to talk about the ministry of Christ. Next week, the mission of Paul, and then supporting the mission the week after that. But as we think about the, the ministry of Christ, he's going to give us some things that we need to model, I think. As we look at the way Jesus ministered when he was here on the face of this earth, there's some things that you and I need to model to help us be better servants, to help us do better as being the kind of servant that actually builds people up. Here's the first thing that we can see that Paul writes about in verse 8 and the first part of verse number 9. He, he writes there about the ministry of Christ being a servant-type ministry. The ministry of Christ was a servant ministry. That's why Jesus came. Now put that in context for a minute. God became flesh, came into this world, not for us just to bow down before him and serve him. Not the first time. That's not why he came. He came into this world the first time to be a servant. He came into this world to die for our sins, that through faith in Him, we can have everlasting life. His ministry to begin with was a servant ministry. Look at what's said in, in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's talking about the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, to their forefathers that are there in the Bible, all the promises that were made to the patriarchs of the Jews. 
And in, in verse 9 he says, And in order that the Gentiles, and as far as I know, that's all of us, that the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, might glorify God for his mercy. Key in on that phrase, for, for I tell you that, that Christ became a servant. If Christ came as a servant, you and I who are his followers, we ought to model that. We ought to be servants. In that phrase when he says Christ became a servant, Paul's actually making an argument. We've seen him use this word several times in the book of Romans, but the word for uh, has more significance than what we tend to give it uh, when we are just reading in the English. But the word in the Greek that was used there means that Paul is making an argument. He's assigning a reason of what he's about to say. He said, for Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, God becoming flesh, the promised one, Christ became, he made himself a servant. Who is he? He's God, eternal God. But he comes in human form and he makes himself a servant, caused himself to become a servant. Someone that runs errands, someone that's like a waiter at a table, someone that's an attendant. The Bible tells us, Paul writes, and he said, Christ became a servant. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus will full foreknowledge, comes into this world understanding that he's coming to a people that's going to reject him and ultimately crucify him. And yet he comes into this world as a servant. Monday night, Scott gave us a perfect example of that uh, in his last message that he was with us in our Bible conference this past week, and he talked about Jesus kneeling before the disciples and taking a towel and wrapping it around himself and making himself a servant and washing their feet. A huge example of what being a servant is like for God in the flesh to kneel before sinful men and there to wash their feet. Christ became a servant is what Paul tells us. Jesus said this about himself in Luke. Uh, look, next slide, please. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? See, Jesus is asking a question on the conventional wisdom of that day. The conventional wisdom of that day would be this. Well, the one that's most important would be the one sitting at the table and everybody's serving. But what Jesus is really saying, hey, you need to learn something from this. I came as a servant. Jesus, God in the flesh, he said, I come among you as one who serves. Now, if that's true, it is because the Bible tells us that. Who do we think we are to come up with our excuses as to why we're not going to serve somebody, as to why we're not going to serve God, as to why we're not going to model being a servant like Jesus was a servant? Jesus, God in the flesh, the only one that's holy, 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 the only one that's perfect, came into this world to serve people that were imperfect. How do we think that we can come up with excuses and say, but that person is not like me, or that person maybe does not like me, or I don't like that person, or they're different than me, whatever the situation is, or that person has hurt me, they've mistreated me, and I just really don't want to be a servant. Hey, Jesus was beaten, abused, crucified, thrown in a tomb, and yet he came to be a servant. And he knew with full foreknowledge exactly what would take place. The, the main theme here that Paul's writing about is really unity and how you and I need to serve God together as believers. And, and here as he writes about, about unity, he's using the fact that Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus did so in order to minister to the Jews and to the Gentiles to help us understand the, the degree of unity that we ought to have w with each other. See, he's telling us that Jesus came as a servant to start with to the Jews. And, and there he, he wrote, for I tell you that Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. He came as a servant to the Jews for two main reasons. One, to show God's truthfulness. God had promised that the Messiah would come. 
God had promised that through the Jewish race, he would send the Messiah, his son. Now, Jesus comes to fulfill that. And as Jesus does so, he's proven the truthfulness of God. And he also came in order to keep the promises. He had made promises. God had made promises to the patriarchs. And Jesus comes and keeps those promises. That's the servant that Jesus came to be for the Jews. Someone that proved the truthfulness of God. Someone that confirmed the promises of God. So just maybe if Jesus is our model of service, you and I need to be the kind of servants that prove the truthfulness of God. We need to be the kind of servants that confirm the promises of God because that's the model that Jesus gave us. But Jesus also came to the Gentiles in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Do you understand there was a time that we as Gentiles were without any hope? There was a time that we didn't have hope of mercy. We didn't have hope of forgiveness. We didn't have hope of everlasting life. And yet Jesus comes in order that you and I, in order that Gentiles, in order those that are not Jewish, that we might actually glorify God, that we might bring glory to him. The predominant ministry of Jesus was to the Jews when he was here on the earth uh, the first time. But on some occasions, he reached out to the Gentiles. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that was there at the well, he reached out to her. The centurion soldier whose servant had died, Jesus reached out to them and ministered there. But if you want the supreme picture, the supreme example of Jesus being a servant, here's where you find it. Jesus, as the suffering servant, came into this world, was nailed to a cross, shed his blood, suffered in my place and in your place, suffered and died in order that we might have hope and that the Jews' hope might be fulfilled and that we together, both Jews and Gentiles, can serve God the Father. That's why Jesus came. He came in the role of a, of a servant. He came in order to, to serve others. He, he came in order to carry out this ministry of reconciliation between God the Father and sinful man. But he left us with that same ministry. Look at what Paul wrote later on in Second Corinthians. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's what God was doing with Jesus. He sent his son into this world so that our sins might be paid for, so that we can be reconciled to God. But notice this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, Christianity goes a little bit beyond what we make it out to be a lot of times in church. A lot of times people make Christianity out to be this. Jesus came, died on the cross, took his life back up. I believe in him. I'm going to heaven one day. There, that's it. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus did not come and die and take his life back up and save us just so we can sit down. Jesus saved us and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. There are things for us to do. Christ became a servant in order to reach people, in order to bring people back to God through this ministry of reconciliation. And Jesus Christ has given us that same ministry. He goes on and says, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Jesus became a servant to the Father in order that people might be reconciled and he has left you and I as servants. He has died on the cross, took his life back up, ascended to the Father, sat down at the right hand of God and more or less, here's the deal now. Jesus says, now you're the servant. I came as a servant. I died for you. I took my life back up. I did what's necessary for you to have everlasting life. And I have gone back to the Father. But now you are the servant. If you believe in me, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So if we want a reason why we ought to serve God to build others up, you can find it by looking no further than just looking at the cross. Jesus came as a servant in order that people might be reconciled. You and I need to spend our lives trying to get people reconciled with God through the message of reconciliation that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Not only is the ministry of Jesus a servant ministry, it's, it's also a worship ministry. The, the Bible says, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, Paul in this section is quoting several things from the Old Testament. Here he's quoting King David. 
And King David said this, I'm going to praise your name not just among my own people, I'm going to praise your name even before the Gentiles. That's what David had said. David was so excited at God having delivered him many times that he said, I'm going to praise you before the whole world. Before, yes, the Jews, but I'm going to praise you even among the Gentiles. But you see, here's the deal with that. In, in, in the Scriptures, David is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. And that's the way that Paul is using this Scripture here. He's not writing about David. He's writing this, applying this to Jesus. So he is saying that Jesus said, I will praise you, talking about the Father. Therefore, I will praise you, Father, among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Now, I'll give you a fair warning. A little bit different today in this part of the service. Because... Paul mentions several acts of worship. An act of worship is what? It's something you do. So I'm not big on trying to get people to do things or manipulate people to doing things. And if you're not into it, please don't do it. But I think maybe you'll be into it after you understand the reason why. We're actually going to have a participatory time. <laughs> today because we're looking at the ministry of jesus and based upon what paul says here part of the ministry of jesus was also this jesus when he was in this world worshiped the father and you and i ought to worship the father also he, he used the word praise to start with as is written therefore i referring to jesus quoting david from the Old Testament in those passages. I will praise you among the Gentiles. Like I said a moment ago, David's a type or a picture of Jesus. So he's telling us this. Paul is saying that Jesus came and he praised God among the Gentiles as he was here in this world. God in the flesh, the second part of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son saw worth and value in worshiping God the Father when he was in this world. And if God the Son would worship God the Father and give praise to God the Father when he was in this world, you and I, as the servants of Christ, ought to also recognize God the Father. And we ought to also praise him among the world in which we live in. Praise is part of the ministry of Jesus. Praise ought to be part of our ministry as believers. He, he said this in verse 10 and 11. We'll go on before we do our little uh, practice together. But in verse 10 and 11, it said, And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. The word, the word praise means this. It comes from the Greek word doxa. How many have heard of the doxology before? You've heard of the doxology? Man, I grew up in a, in a little country church over in Wilkes County, Walnut Grove, just down the road from where I was raised at and, uh, and everything. And the whole time I was growing up, every Sunday, I'm every, I don't think they ever missed it. As soon as the choir came in in their choir robes, those little people stand up there and everything is what small church, small choir. And what they would do, they, they would sing the doxology every time. Now there's kind of a danger in that. You want to know why? Because it may become old hat and, and it's just something you're going through, not even thinking about what you're doing. And it should never be that. We, we ought to be thinking about what we're doing as we sing words, as we come together in worship here. It shouldn't ever be old hat. I don't care if, I don't care if John decides to do, to do a song or one of our other worship leaders uh, decides to do a song that you've heard until you're sick of it. If you would think about the reason for it, that you're singing it as worship to God, and let that be your focus every time. Though the word means glory is very apparent. 
In other words, as we worship God, we are to be making him huge before people. We're to be making the glory of God very clear. We're to be making it very apparent how great our God is as we worship him. It's also translated in the Bible as praise or dignity or glory or glorious or honor or worship. And as we worship God, as we come together in worship services and, and, we, and we sing praises to Him or we uh, extend and we offer praises to Him, we need to do it in a way that makes God big. See, when, when you are giving worship to God, it's not about, it's not about, oh, look how well I can praise. It's about, look why I ought to praise Look who I'm praising. Look how great He is. When we, uh, when we worship, you see, he, he said here, I'm going to sing your name before the Gentiles. And the theme of what Paul is writing about in this passage of Romans is you and I being the kind of servants that build up other people. You understand that can happen and should happen in a corporate worship service? That... You can extend praise to God and that can bless somebody else. Some of you may wonder why sometimes during the song service I'm roaming along the back wall back there. You might think, does he not trust us? Is he going to usher us out if we do something wrong? Why is he hanging out behind us? What's he doing back there? You know, and, uh, and everything. That's not what I'm there. We've, we've got deputies back there to do that, to come uh, to, to worship. If I need to call on them, I'm just joking with, with, with you about that. You know why I like to stand back there sometimes? It blesses me to see how some of you worship. And see, on any given Sunday, there'll be people coming in here that maybe are, are coming in all pumped up and they're great because they've been in the Word all week and everything and they're thrilled, they're, they're getting to come to church. But you're also going to have people slip in here and sit down that have been beat up by life all week long. And, and when we get the chance to extend our praises and worship to God, remember our goal is we're to be servants that are building other people up. So through our worship, we can build up other people. We can be the kind of servant that, that builds someone. This, this past Monday when, when Scott preached about uh, servitude, uh, that's my fault because he asked me about uh, about a month ago, well, what are some things maybe we need to deal with? And I said, well, you know, if God leads you to preach anything about being a servant, I think that would be good. I knew I was going to be here, but I think you need to hear that from somebody else sometimes too because to be honest with you, I think we fall short of being the kind of servants that we need to be here in this church. And sometimes some of you will hear a message about servants. You might have been here Monday night and heard Scott preach about it or me today or other times. And you get the idea that when we talk about you volunteering to serve, that we're trying to put some kind of obligation on you. Hey, it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to where you can teach a child and maybe give that child some hope in its life. It's an opportunity to where you can, you know, sing or, or worship or greet someone in the parking lot or whatever it is because there are people coming in beat up by life. And the way we worship, we can encourage them. The way we worship can even build others up. So having said that, John Lewis, our... Uh, worship pastor. Uh, John's not on stage today. He took the day off except me making him come up to do this and, and everything. But uh, he's going to come and lead us and we're going to do some, some participation in worship. And the way we're going to start out is to sing the doxology. Now, having said that, can I preempt something that I had to back up and repeat in the, in the first service? We sang it in the first service, and I'm listening to it when we sang it the first time. We had to sing it again. You want to know why? When we sang it the first time, it sounded like a stinking funeral dirge. What is the purpose of us singing this right now? To, to, to make the glory of God very apparent, right? So that means, even though it's something you've heard kind of, it's kind of ho-hum maybe in, in your life when you sang it before, if you'll sing it with the right attitude, we ought to be able to sing it with excitement because we're talking about the glory of God. We're talking about how great our God is. 
And since we're talking about offering praise to him and making him very apparent, as we sing this, I'm not trying to dictate to you how you do it or what you do, but if God urges your heart to do something like raise your hand, raise two hands, run a circle, whatever it might be, only if God tells you to do it, God didn't tell you to do it, I'll trip you and you'll fall on your face. But as we sing the doxology, I want you to think about the greatness of God and the majesty of God. And as John leads us and we sing through the doxology, express some form of worship. And we're not done yet either. I'll just let you know. As a matter of fact, you can just stay standing uh, after we do this. Let's stand together. So for those of you who, who may have forgotten the text or, or don't remember the um, maybe you've never heard the text. How many's never says, how many's never sung the doxology before? Anybody, anybody never sung? Okay. okay. So it, this is how it goes. It says, "Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen." And that's that's how those are the words. So let's say them together one time. It's Repeat after me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Because the, uh, the next word that he mentions is the word sing. And, and said, and sing to your name. So remember, he's using David as a type of Christ. And he's applying this to Jesus. You've got the picture of Jesus singing to the name of God the Father. The, the word for sing is kind of an interesting word. And you see, singing should not be threatening to us. Let me just throw that out really quick. We do it in all of our services pretty much all the time. But you're supposed to be singing to God. And some of you might think, well, I don't sing with everybody else because I'm afraid I might sing off key. It doesn't matter. You're singing to God. You're not singing to the person beside of you or behind you. You are singing to God. He's the one that wants to hear your praise. He's the one that wants to hear you lift it up. Now, now the, the word for, the word for sing actually means to rub or touch the surface or to twang as, as, as like, you know, I don't know if he's hot or not, but like in, in the in playing a string instrument. So, uh, by the way, for any of you that think guitar shouldn't be in church, right there it is. <laughs> the word that's translated here in the Greek for singing actually talks about strumming on an instrument. I, I, I get a little bit of heathenistic about things sometimes. And when I read this and he's talking about Jesus singing, I got the image of my mind of Jesus playing a guitar solo to God the Father. <laughs> so... Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song to the Father and it's gonna start out with a guitar solo. But you see, the, also the idea, the, the rest of the interpretation of, uh, of rubbing or touching the surface or twanging strings is that our vocal cords are like strings. So as we sing and we force air across them, they're actually doing that. It's like, you know, like they're being, they're moved, like being strummed or something to the Father. So they're going to lead us in a song. And, and once again, it's for all of us to sing because we're singing praise to who? Not to the person beside of you, not in front of you, not behind you, but to the Father. And it's going to start out with a solo being played 
to God. It's not about John or any of these other musicians. Anytime, you know, you ought to be thinking, thank God that somebody can play like that. That's what you ought to be thinking. Thank God for the gifts that he's given us. Thank God, you know, for things. It's, it's to him. It's to his glory. Let's sing. Remain standing. The band's going to put their instruments down, but they don't get to leave because they have to participate in this one too. He also used this word, rejoice. Remember, he's talking about Jesus, the servant Jesus, to the Father, rejoicing. And we ought to rejoice. He said, again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. We, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can rejoice together. He, he's quoting from the Song of Moses, and Moses is kind of rehearsing over some of the blessings and warnings also for the nation of Israel. But the word that he uses for rejoice means to put in a good frame of mind by rejoicing, by being merry. He said to put yourself in a good frame of mind by rejoicing. I'm afraid that maybe we spend a lot of our time beat down and beaten up and negative and depressed and discouraged in our lives because we don't take time to rejoice in what God's done for us. Because if I'm rejoicing in what God has done for me, what Christ has done for me, what, what does all the rest of the junk matter? I mean, really, huh? Because of what He's done for me, I have eternity forever and ever with Him in heaven. And just maybe if we would, as we come to this place and we worship, if we would actually rejoice when we're here, if we'd come in rejoicing, if we would sing with joy and rejoice, just maybe it put us in a better frame of mind as we've got to face the world. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And if you know Christ is your Savior... If you don't know him as your Savior, a lot of this stuff don't make a lot of sense to you today. I'll tell you up front, we don't normally do this at day three. Every now and then we'll do something special like this in, in, in one of our sermons, one of our messages. But, uh, you know, you just don't understand what it's all about probably if you don't know Jesus. And at the end of the service, there will be an invitation for you to come to know him. But I want you right now, I want you to think about if you know Christ as your Savior. I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. I want you to think about how Jesus came into this world knowing he's going to be abused, knowing he's going to be rejected, knowing that he's going to be executed on a cross, knowing that he came into this world to be the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice that dies in your place on the cross and my place on the cross. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Think about how he died for you, how they put him in a tomb, but how he took his life back up on the third day to prove that he won the battle so that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Is that helping you get in a good frame of mind? I hope so, because the, the next thing, I want you to... I want you to Bow your head still and still be thinking about that. But the next thing I want us to do is rejoice. We rejoice at football games, baseball games, basketball games, concerts, everything else under the sun. And we'll come sometimes and sit in church and act like our best friend just died. Are you in a good frame of mind thinking about what Jesus has done for you? And right now, in however form God wants you to, but right now, let's rejoice in Him. You ready? Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Now, you just did a pretty good job with this, but the next word was extol. 
And the word for extol, he said, uh, again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples, both Jews and Gentiles together, through Jesus, what he's done for us, let all the peoples extol him. Quoting from Psalm 117, the word extol actually means to do what? To applaud. That's what it means. To commend, to laud with praise. Man, let's give Jesus a hand. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Thank you, guys. Band for coming back up. Um, I don't know if it did for you or not, but but see the reason why. We need to worship the, the ministry of Jesus was a worship ministry. Is because also the ministry of Jesus is a hope-filled ministry. A hope-filled ministry. Right then, as we took time to worship God a little bit more and, and, and with a little bit more enthusiasm, and like I said, we don't normally try and dictate to you or manipulate you into doing anything like that, but it's right there in the Bible. The words were right there, and I thought it wouldn't hurt us to practice a little bit. But right as we were doing that, you don't have any idea how us expressing love to God might have given hope to somebody else that's here right now. Everybody didn't have a good week. There's some here that's probably not had a good year or years. They're dealing with things that you may not know anything about. I know some of them. But, but Jesus came as a servant to build up others. And we need to be the kind of servant that builds up others. And we can even do it through our worship of God. We can worship Him in a way that gives encouragement and strength and helps build up somebody else in their, in their low spot that they're in. But the ministry of Jesus, as I said, was also a hope-filled ministry because the last two verses we'll look at today... Paul writes and it says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's talking about Jesus. The, the root of Jesse, back up please. Will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. He's writing, Paul is writing, and he's, he's telling us that Jesus came, the root of Jesse, that that Jesus arose. See, one, at one time, in order to give the Gentiles hope, at one time the Gentiles were without hope. Ephesians 2 in verse 12 tells us this, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's where we were, without Jesus. But Jesus comes into this world. He arises in order that the Gentiles might have hope. Though the word arises literally means to stand up or to stand up or rise again. And Jesus did that in order to rule. And the word literally means just to be first place. That's where he needs to be in our lives. We need to let Jesus have first place in our lives. When Jesus came into the world the first time, he, he, he rose up in this world so he can be the Messiah. He came as God in the flesh in his incarnation. But I want you to understand, years later, after they crucified him and put him in a tomb, he stood up again. 
And the fact that he stood up again on the other side of the cross gives me hope. And it gives you hope that he's who he said he was and he did what he said he would do by dying on the cross. And the kind of hope we're talking about is not like we use when we're just having language with each other. Well, I hope this happens. I hope that happens. No, it's a word that means to have a confident expectation. To anticipate, usually with pleasure, to have confidence that it's true. The ministry of Jesus is one to bring hope to a lost and dying world. It brought hope to us who have believed in him. He goes on in verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul's praying for believers like he did in in verse 5 of Romans 15. And he's praying this. He's praying that the God of hope. Aren't you glad God is a God of hope? He's a God that can do anything. He's a God that can call things what they were not and they are true. We need to be so thankful that he's the God of hope. He's praying for us that the God of hope will fill us, will will furnish what is needed in our lives, fill up that hollow spot because, you see, we all have hollow holes in our heart. We we all have wounds and things in our our life. He's praying that the God of hope will will fill us as believers with all joy, all cheerfulness, all peace, that we would be joined together. And how does that happen? It happens by believing. That's what he says. It happens through faith. And it happens through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Having the hope that he's talking about is not something that you and I work up or we manipulate or we, we have to kind of manufacture within ourselves. The moment you and I receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves into our life. He lives within us and he's there to help us have hope. One of the reasons he's there. To, to give us hope by his presence. To, to, to empower us to where we don't just have a little bit of hope, but where we can abound in hope. And that word abound means to superabound, to overflow with something, to go way beyond what is even needed. So the ministry of Jesus is a, is a hope-filled ministry, and we can have hope in a fixed position in our lives that comes as a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But, but, please, please understand this part. My whole mission in life is, is not just for me to have hope. Your whole mission in life, if you know Christ as your Savior, is not just for you to experience hope. But we're talking about Jesus being a servant. Jesus having a ministry of service. And how you and I need to model that. How you and I need to be servants because Jesus was a servant. That means that it's, it's great for me to have hope and for you to have hope. But it means we need to recognize other people need hope. And we, we need to carry out in our lives a hope-filled ministry for people. When we talk to you about serving, sometimes and we're trying to find maybe volunteers for the nursery or the children's department, that, you know, don't take that as, oh, they're trying to get me to do something again. You ought to take it like, wow, I can do something for Jesus. Because you can give hope to some little child that needs hope. You don't know what that child went through this week. Or you can be used by God to give them hope of eternal life by teaching them about Jesus. You can be used by God to be a greeter that maybe someone coming in just needs a smile because they've been frowned at and cursed at all week. You can shake their hand, touch them on the shoulder and smile. And try and bring hope into their lives. So so with that being said, and us recognizing that Jesus is the supreme example of a servant, and yes, we're going to fall short, but that doesn't mean that we're set off the hook. It means we're to try. Because Jesus is a servant. I need to try and be a better servant, and you need to try and be a better servant. Because Jesus had a servant ministry, we need to have servant ministries that that touch and impact the lives of people because, because Jesus... 
had a worship ministry. We need to come here. We need to worship in ways that encourage each other and, and strengthen each other because Jesus had a hope-filled ministry. We need to have ministries and be doing other things to, to bring hope to others. So that being said, can I ask you a question? Who are you serving? Who are you giving hope to right now in your life? And if you're having trouble identifying someone, that indicates really quick that you've got a problem. I used to do church planner assessments for the State Baptist Convention, and then they started doing everything online. So that got me to where I didn't have to interview people. But as I'm interviewing a potential church planner, one question I would always ask is this. Tell me the last time you told somebody how to trust Christ as their Savior. And you see, that was interesting sometimes for me as I'm dealing with potential church planners, whether or not I should say the state convention should fund them or not and, and, and help set them apart to be, to be church planners because when it took a really, really long time for them to think about the last time they told somebody about Jesus, that indicated there's a problem. Church planners need to tell people about Jesus. All of us need to tell people about Jesus. So when I ask you, who are you building up? Who are you being a servant to? Who are you giving hope to a moment ago? And if you can't think of somebody, that might indicate that you need to make some changes. And the band's going to come out here and play, and we're going to do this invitation thing. And as they're doing it, maybe you as a believer, maybe you need to slip out from where you are, come and kneel and say, God, help me to be a better servant. God, help me to worship you better so through worship I can encourage other people. Or God, help me to bring hope to people's lives. Help me to, to be used to build others up. You can pray that there, but maybe you need to come down here and kneel and pray it. And I recognize full well today the, the, the service, like I said earlier, if, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, some of it probably didn't make a lot of sense. But last Sunday morning, at the end of the second service, we had an adult lady trust Christ as her Savior. And last Sunday night, that's something to celebrate. And last Sunday night, I, I saw a, a, a young person, I told Ken which one it was, that slipped her hand up saying she had prayed to receive Christ. So what they did, you can do right now. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can. And it really just boils down to you admitting that you're a sinner. and You recognize that. God already knows it, but He wants us to be transparent and say, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I'm going to trust in Him and nothing else for my salvation. And for the rest of us that already know Him, we need to be about giving people hope. As you come to this place and you give and you tithe, that can help give hope to people as we fund ministry. In just a few moments after we have the invitation, we're going to pray over those that are from our church that are here this morning that are getting ready to leave out Friday to go to Africa. By your support of them through the various things they've done to help them raise funds to go to Africa, you are giving them hope. And we're sending them to Africa to give other people hope. And when they leave to come back, I hope the people there that continue giving hope to others for years and years to come in this building that they're going to put a roof on for a church. In July, when UTH goes to Guatemala, Right now, we're in a position where we can make them hopeful as we help fund the, the mission that they have. But then as they go to Guatemala this summer and in, in July, they're there to give other people hope. They're there to build a church in a village that doesn't have a church where people can find hope for years to come. We ought to be giving people hope. Let's pray.
Father. Lord, for anyone here that may not know Christ as their Savior, help them to see how much you love them, so much you sent your Son. You became flesh, and you took our place, and you died on the cross for them, that through faith in you, they can have their sins forgiven. They can have their complete destiny changed right now by trusting in Jesus. God, help those of us that already know and we've already trusted. Help us to evaluate how good or how bad we're doing at being servants. God, help us to to follow the model of Jesus and serve others. Lord, help us as we come to this place in the future that we'll think about how much you can use things like worship to encourage our lives, to set ourselves in the right state of mind for our life. God, you can use our worship to to encourage others, to lift others up. So God, help us to be servants as we, as we worship and through our worship that others might be built up. God, help us to give hope. Thank you that through your Son, you've given us hope. But God, help us as a church to share that hope with a lost world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As they lead us in invitation, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've got questions about that or whatever, I invite you to come forward and see me. I'll be here at the front. But to start with, I, I don't think we ever get to the point that we think we're serving good enough. I know I'm not there. Or that we're worshiping fully like we should or that we're giving people hope to the degree that we should. So I... I need to kneel for a moment. I don't know about you, but I need to kneel and ask God to help me be a better servant. I encourage you to consider doing that as the band plays. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.